turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, and I want to start with a little church-wide survey. If you've ever heard me speak, you've probably heard me talk about how important plain seats are to me, that getting the right seat on a plane. So I want to do a little survey, see what kind of seat we like as a whole, as all people search. So if you are a aisle seat lover on a plane, please raise your hand. You love the aisle seat. Room to stretch out. Okay. If you are a window seat lover, raise your hand. You want to see where we're going. Man, each service. I think that window seat. If you're a middle seat lover, would you raise your hand? There's always one. It, it, if you... Uh, if you always get stuck in the middle seat because you are a loving boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife or mom, would you raise your hand? There we go. There we go. There, I think there's a special place in heaven for those who have been confined to middle seats in this life. Um, plane seats are important to me because I'm taller. I, I'm, I, I fly all the time uh, as we do mission work and, and visit our different churches. And, and so they're important to me because I, I get claustrophobic and... Uh, it's not just claustrophobic. Also, I have scoliosis, back and neck pain. So when I'm cooped up, it, it starts affecting me. So I've been known to check like numerous times. If, if Audrey, my assistant, is helping me with flights, I might call her seven times to make sure I've got a, an aisle seat or maybe, a, maybe an emergency exit row. Um, I've even been known to pay a little extra for Economy Plus. Uh, but, but here's the deal. Uh, it would be silly if that's all I focused on when I'm traveling. Like I, all I worked on was the plane flight and getting the right seat versus where I'm actually going. Do I actually have lodging once I get there? Do I actually have people that I'm gonna connect with and work on an itinerary? So let's just make it personal for a second. If you were moving, if you were moving to a new state and you were gonna get there by flying, let's say you're moving to Idaho. I've heard some people moving to Idaho lately. Please don't do that. but. If you were moving to Idaho and you were going to fly to your, to, to, to your new home, it would be ridiculous if you took a bunch of lumber onto the plane and spent the whole flight building a home around your seat, right? And you, all of a sudden, you're getting your flat screen set up. You're getting your extra stuffed seat. You're making a lazy boy recliner. You got your big cup holder. And then you get to your new destination, and, and the stewardess comes and say, hey, sir, hey, ma'am, uh, it's time to get off the plane. You're like, no, like, this is my home. This is what I built. This is where I invested in. And I think that's a perfect illustration for how we as Christians often are more focused on the flight than our end destination. We're more focused on the short trip that we spend here on earth than where we're going to spend our eternal home forever. And so that's why we're doing this series called Vision for Eternity. And that's why I'm talking today about our eternal occupation. Because if there's only one thing you can do for all eternity, then we should discover it. And if that thing that we do is preparation here on earth for what you'll do for countless ages, then we ought to lock in on that. And the scripture says as we open up the book of Revelation, it helps us understand that there actually is an eternal occupation. And it's shown from, let me just explain for a second, in this book, the, the book 
in this book, the Bible is made into 66 books. The book that talks about eternity more than any other is the book of Revelation. And as we look at what humans are doing in eternity, from Revelation 1 all the way to Revelation 22, there are 24 references to what we are going to be doing, and our primary occupation is worship. You got it. You got it. That's that's what we're going to do. And let me just define worship. If you're, if you're new to church, if you're new to the Christian faith, what is worship? Worship, the, the Greek word for worship is proskuneo. That's a compound word. Pros means towards. So you're, you're, you're heading towards something. You're focused on something. You're moving towards something. Kuneo actually means this. It means to kiss. Now think about a kiss. A kiss is the most sweet, the most intimate. It's, a, it's emotional. It's tender. It's a form of affection. So what is worship? Worship is expressing affection, expressing attention. It's a, a tender display of love towards something. When my wife comes in to a room, I don't look at her and say, hi, Steph, like that. No, I actually focus my attention towards her, and I give her a kiss. That is what worship is and and today we want to want to talk about that because this is what we will be doing throughout all of eternity but let me begin by establishing some framework so let me give you point 1 point 1 today is this the world as we know it will not last forever the world as we know it won't last forever so before the book of Revelation, written by the disciple John, one of John's best friends, Peter, wrote this book. He wrote the, the uh, epistles of Peter, and in 2 Peter, we see this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. What's that saying? It's saying the return of Jesus. We know that Jesus is actually going to return in bodily form, and Peter says the day is going to come like a thief. The heavens... Have you ever seen this? The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Now, some people, this would be very scary because you're like, wait a second, the world? The world's not going to just last forever? Like, this is not all there is? And actually, it's going to be destroyed? I mean, that, that could be really scary. Or for you, if you've given your life to Jesus, you could be very comforted by that. Because you could be saying, yeah, that, things haven't been going that great. <laughs> 2020, 2021, uh, can I get a refund? Not, not the best years, but it, the Bible is saying, hey, this world and even the heavens, they're not going to last forever. They will be destroyed. They'll be laid bare. And watch this. This is great news. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt with heat. But... In keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. He's saying, hey, this is great news because the destruction and the hatred you see and the enmity between people and the division and the, the murder and the disease and, and all the decay, it's going to end. And we're going to see something new. And so let me just cheat for a second. Let me move you to the last book of the Bible. Let me move you to the end of that book and listen to what it says in Revelation. 
This is John speaking. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Remember the center of the universe. We established this last week. There's a center of the universe. There's a throne, and seated on the throne is Jesus. And so from the throne, we hear this. It says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Although the old earth passes away and the old heavens pass away, something new comes, and it is beyond our wildest dreams because we actually live face to face, hand in hand, in full the presence of the living God. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Do not fear that this earth is going to melt away. No, it's good because there's no more crying. There's no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne says, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Point one, the world as we know it will not last forever. But point two, we just saw in Revelation 21, although the first heavens and earth passed away, there is something so much better. Oh man, I was expecting a much bigger Amen. There's something so much better that is coming for you, my friends. Now, point three is this. When we get a glimpse into heaven, people are always doing the same thing. When we get a glimpse into that new heaven and that new earth, people are always doing the same thing. Now, one of the problems I believe we've had as the American church is we've focused too much on flourishing in the flight instead of preparing for eternity. And so we've spent all our time preaching messages and doing discipleship about how to maximize my life on earth, right? How to minimize my pain, how, how to have a little more peace. And, and although those things aren't bad and God wants to bless you with them, we're focusing on the two and a half hour flight versus the whole new life we're gonna live in our new city. So what are we doing there? Well, every time you see humans in Revelation, the book of Revelation from one to 22, they're doing the same thing. And watch what it is. Revelation 4, 9 through 11. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, 24 elders, so those are people, they fall down before him who sit on the throne and... <sighs> we gotta do better than that, folks. <laughs> they see, okay, let's try that again. Let's try it again. Fall down before him who sits on the throne and... <laughs> that was better. Him who lives forever and ever, they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So we're seeing these people doing these acts of worship. 
Let's move on, Revelation 5. I'm not going to do all 24, but I just want to whet your appetite to see this profound truth. It says, and when he had taken it, he had taken the scroll. He was the only person who could take it. It was the Lamb of God. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp. So there's this instrument they have, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seal because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. So it's not just proclaiming worship, but it's also singing worship with some instruments, and they're proclaiming what God has done. Let's keep going. Let's move to Revelation 7. Oh, I love this one. After this, I looked before me, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Some people think, well, you know, of course the 24 elders would get to be before the throne and get to be in that throne room, but not me, man. I'm just a normal dude. I've, I'm, a, I'm a sinner. I messed up. No, there's a multitude. We start seeing people from every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue. It's not just Americans. It's not just North Americans. It's not just this. It's every kindred, nation, tribe. And what are they doing? They are worshiping him. They cry out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let's move to Revelation chapter 11. And the 24 elders who were seated on the throne before God fell on their faces and, and, and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you. Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you've taken your great power and began to reign. You know, if, if, if you don't know how to worship, I encourage you, look at these songs in Revelation and just start saying them. I've taken these, I've written them down, I've tried to memorize them, so I walk around saying the very thing that's being said in heaven right now. <coughs> Turn to Revelation 14. Then I looked, <clears throat> and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard the sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps, and they sang a new song before the throne and before the living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had redeemed from the earth. So we've seen elders. We've seen living creatures and angels. We've seen a crowd from all different nations. Now we're seeing 144,000. These are these believing uh, Jewish people who are worshiping God. They're standing before and they're singing these songs. And then we move to Revelation 19.4. The 24 elders and the four living creatures, they fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. We see that it's expressive. Why, why do people kneel? It's because it's in the Bible. Why do people lift their hands? I, I, I grew up in a, in a church that that uh, I'm so thankful for. We taught the Bible, but we, we, didn't, we didn't do these different things. So when I saw people doing them, I was like, what in the world? 
Why are people, I, I remember someone standing down on the front row. There was like this one couple that would come to our church. Uh, m- most people would just, we were the frozen chosen, right? We just stand there. And I remember this one couple that showed up at our church and they raised their hands. And I was like, how dare them do that goalpost sign, that victory. Uh, they're, they're drawing attention to themselves. And then I thought, and how dare them lift their hands this way? If you do that, you're pushing God back. At least raise them this way to receive. I mean, where do we get these things? But why, why, why do we cry out? Why do we shout out? It's because that's what the Bible says. Why do we lift holy hands? It's what the Bible says. Now, now so the question is, okay, is that, is, is that all worship is? Is, is singing and, and proclaiming? Well, no, I, I, I love Romans 12.1. The Apostle Paul writes this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That brings me to point four. Worship encompasses more than just singing. Worship encompasses more than just singing. So what Paul's saying is there's direct worship, which is standing and proclaiming the excellencies of God. But he's saying, hey, don't just think of it that way. Every aspect of your life, everything that you do in your body, when you do it in a manner to honor God, that becomes worship. Do you know that your work is worship? Like some of you have jobs that you do not like, but let me tell you how to redeem them. Do your job unto the Lord. Don't just do your job for a paycheck. What a a low reason to do a job. Do your job as worship. How do you do that? By abiding with Jesus, right? And by serving other people. Do you know students that your schoolwork can be worship to God? Even your math homework. He, he is truly the God of the miraculous. He can take your math and make it into worship. When you do that to honor him, you are worshiping him. Do you know that your eating can be worshiped? How we treat our bodies, our sleeping. We can sleep as unto the Lord, honoring the Lord with your body. We give, we serve unto the Lord. Our sexuality, worship unto the Lord. Everything you do in abiding and honoring God is worship to him. It is our act of worship. Now, you know, some, some people say, gosh, <clears throat> this whole thing on worship, it's just hard for me because I'm just, I'm just not a worship person. Like, it's just, I, I look at other people, and they just dive into worship. Have you ever said that? Have you ever been jealous of someone in worship? Like, that, that's been me before. Like, you look at someone, and you're like, they're just lost in worship. They're like, they are like John. It, it, on the Lord's day, they were in the spirit. And you're like, and I'm just, I'm just lost. Lisa Bridges the, the worship starts and she's just, she's lost. I'm like, where did you go? Where? Please take me with you, right? Like, and, and you think like, that's not me. Because I, like, I, like I told you, I, I'm so thankful for my church and the, the people were so wonderful, but I wouldn't say we were an expressive worship community. So I, in, in my church growing up, the women sang, but it wasn't really cool for the guys to sing. I don't know if anybody else grew up in a church. So the women would be like, ah. And the men would, like, I am man. I don't open my mouth. I think my dad knew. My dad's a man's man. He's like this big football player. But I think he knew he was supposed to worship. But he also knew the men around him weren't worshiping. So he'd be like, oh, bass, sing, bass. He'd just kind of like, boop, boop, 
I appreciated that, though, you know? I, I, and don't worry, I'm not making fun of it. My dad's watching this, so he's laughing at this. But uh, So I remember when, when, when one of my friends, who was a year older than me, he went off to, to college, and he was exposed to the passion movement, you know, the, the passion song, Louis Giglio, and his. And, and so my friend came back to our church after being there, and I'll never forget, we're standing in worship, and I look over my friend, and he was doing the most radical thing. He closed his eyes. He was like this, and I was like, dude, you are radical. And honestly, I could never do that. I don't, you know, uh, because here's, let me just give you some reasons why I think it's hard to worship. Uh, number one, I'm too self-conscious. I'm too self-conscious. So I remember like looking at him with his eyes closed, and I was like, I could never do that. I don't want people to look at me and think I'm a Jesus freak. I'm some radical fanatic. And, and, and so what it is, is it becomes all about us. You know, and we're just thinking, like, I, I, I'm just too self-conscious. I, and I started going to churches that are more like this, where the, it, one of the worst times would be the worship leader would say, let's all raise our hands. So now it wasn't just my choice, right, which is so un-American. Like, you're telling us all, you can't tell us to do that. I'm an American. <laughs> They're like, let's all, every time Jason Weatherhead comes out, he's always, have you noticed that? Let's raise our hands to the Lord. And this is what I would have done. I would have been like, like, I'm being obedient, but in my own way, right? Like, this is how big my fish is. You know, that's kind of this, this sign. Do you know, we don't worship because it's comfortable. We worship because he's worthy. Um, and, and, and furthermore, we're not trying to put on a show. We're trying to give a sacrifice of praise. So if you're a little uncomfortable closing your eyes and you do it, God sees that and he says, thank you for that sacrifice of praise. And you feel a little self-conscious, but you're like, I can do it. Get up, hand. Ah! Ask your neighbor, please help me push up my hand, right? We worship God. We lift holy hands because the Bible says it and because he is deserving of all praise, not because I feel like it. Uh, here's another one. I'm too distracted. Oh my gosh, uh, these all come out of my own life. I'm too distracted, you know? Uh, I, I've coached a lot of sports uh, in, my, in my time. And I've, one of the things I've noticed is that no one goes straight into the professionals. Like when you start with soccer and start with little kids, it's, it's in the peewee league, right? Have you, I don't know if you've ever seen micro soccer or peewee soccer. Uh, talk about distraction. No, I'm serious. Like, there, there's 20 kids on the field, and only three are actually going after the ball. You got the flower pickers. You got the joke tellers. You got the criers. You got the holders. Right? And, 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 and so it's, it's through hours and hours of practice that we learn to focus. You're like, well, I'm so distracted. You know, the worship starts, and Lisa, whoo, she's lost. And I'm like, man, the top of this tent's dirty. Like, I wonder, if, I wonder if we could get someone to clean it. Oh, my gosh, there's a hole over me. I wonder if I'll get wet. I, remind me not to sit in this seat next time I'm sitting here because the rain could fall right on me, right? And I mean, that's just uh, uh, squirrel, you know? No, we learn to focus by practice. I want to become a professional worshiper. I want to become someone 
who's focusing my attention, who's, who's bringing my attention to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Not because I don't have any distractions in my life. I guarantee you the person next to you that's lost in worship, they have just as many distractions as just as many pains and problems. They've just disciplined their mind to say, what deserves my full attention in this moment is the creator of the universe and the King of kings who is worthy of all praise. So I will bind distractions to focus my attention wholly and solely on him. Here's another one. I'm just not an emotional person. I'm just, that's, that's what I thought when I first jumped into this and I would get to these express, expressive churches like you and I would just be like, well, that's fine for you, but I'm just not that emotional. Right? Or we, you know, we see the person and Stephen starts to sing and the tears just start flowing down their eyes. Right? Now here is, here is what I've noticed. After 25 years of pastoring, I've never met a person without emotions. I've actually never met a person without emotions. But here's something else. There's not one right emotion to experience every time you worship. But when you are in the presence of the most lovely, most wonderful, most loving person, you do experience emotion. So when I am with my wife, I experience emotion, but it's not the same thing every time. And some of us get more addicted to our own emotions than we are focused on bringing the king the worship he deserves. But then some of us, we're shut down and we don't engage in worship because we've disqualified ourselves thinking I'm a non-emotional person. And so what I find is we come, despite our emotions, and we focus on Jesus, and then we experience different emotions because it's sometimes he wants to give comfort other times it's excitement, sometimes it's joy, sometimes it's a weight being released, sometimes it's a peace. There's not one specific emotion we're going after, and as you dive in and actually start meeting with the emotion creator, he will touch you emotionally. Number four, I don't like the worship style. That is a big one. I don't like the worship style. Right? If I'm in a worship, I cannot have that much electric guitar. Or if I'm going to worship, I, I need to feel a stronger drum beat. Or I, you know, if I'm in a worship, that's too loud. That's too soft. That's too happy. That's too sad. I, you, you hear them all. Here's one of the things I, I'm, I'm so thankful for with my parents is they were so committed to the body of Christ. They were so committed to the church no matter what. Every Sunday they had us in the church with the people of God. And I think there's, there's, there's no coincidence that all three of, of us, my, my sisters and I, all love Jesus. And we all serve the church. And we didn't grow up in a ministry family. We grew up in a business family. But we were taught the value of being in church. And so no matter where we went, we traveled a lot when I was a kid. And no matter what state we were in, we'd always go to a church. And we went to all kinds of churches. We went to formal churches. We went to very informal churches. We went to crazy Pentecostal churches. We went to very liturgical. I mean, we went to all different kind of ethnic churches. And you know what? There has never been a church that I couldn't worship in. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit was there. And you're like, no, no, I, I didn't feel the Spirit there. No, the Holy Spirit is in me. And so when I went, that was a Spirit-filled church. And if it was about Jesus, then Spirit-filled me can worship King of Kings Jesus. 
And so I can worship whether it's liturgy. I have cried during liturgy. I, man, I received my calling to the, like where God called me to be a preacher in, during a church cantata with formal choir robes on. And if you notice, that's not quite how we do things around here. There is not one worship style that is perfect or that is right, and so don't make that your excuse. So we, we, we have become, in America, like, like churches become like wine tasting rooms for us. We go in, ooh, that's a flowery bouquet, but a little too strong for me. I would like a little lighter and a cherry, a cherry flavor, right? And woe to us that it's become so consumeristic. Instead of coming and focusing our eyes and our attention and lifting up a shout of praise and honoring God with our hearts and our voices. Um, I don't know how to worship. I don't know how to worship. That, that's, and, and, and that is probably the, the good excuse. And, and man, woe to us as a church if we haven't been teaching how to worship. How do we learn to worship? If you don't know how to worship, get in the, the book of Psalms, Okay. If you have a paper Bible, it's right in the middle. Just flip to the middle. If you have a, a digital Bible where it says Psalms. And uh, <laughs> go, go, to that, go to that book and, and, and you read through the book of Psalms. And, and, and look, I love this. We find us like Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord. Can we do that? Yeah. Yes. Doesn't that feel good? Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Wait, you're saying, but I don't, I don't feel glad. I mean, if anyone had the, the, the reason to not feel glad, it was a psalmist. Most of the psalms were written by David. Man, he had so many bad things. He was hunted by his boss. You think you have a bad boss? His boss was trying to kill him. And he's saying, I'm going to worship with gladness. I love what David said. Psalm 103, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Your soul goes, I don't want to bless the Lord. You're like, bless the Lord, O my soul. I don't want to. He says it again. And all that is within me, right? Bless the Lord and forget none of his benefits. You actually command your body and soul to come in line with the truth, which is God is worthy and he deserves all praise. And, and you jump in and say, even if I don't feel like it, I'm going to do it. And then watch how your body and your mind and even your emotions starts coming in line behind that. It is he who made us, and we are his. Oh, wow. Yeah, I guess, I guess he deserves it. Like, we're his. You made us. You made us to worship. Okay, I'll do it. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. You say, I'm having a hard time worshiping. Well, why don't you just start with thanksgiving? Just start, thank you, God. Thank you so much for letting me be here. Thank you for letting me be in a country where I can worship freely today. Thank you for this amazing music. Thank you that we're looking at the Bible today. You're like, I don't have anything to thank God for. Yeah, well, you're, you're alive. Thank you for breath. You're saved. You've given your life to Jesus. Thank you that I'm not going to hell. This is a great day. So you start by giving thanks, and then it says, and enter his courts with praise. And so you'll, you'll hear us. Well, the music will start. Us on the front row, the, the, uh, us as leaders, we'll just start praising God. God, you're worthy. God, you're holy. God, you're pure. God, you're wonderful. We just start praising God. Why? Because the Bible tells us to do that. And it's amazing. As we do that, the blessing of God comes on us. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. So here's what some would say is I'm talking about our eternal occupation 
is worship from Revelation 1 to Revelation 22. We see that, and you'd say, okay, so is that, is that all we do? No, there's some other really cool things that you see in Scripture. Let me just give you a couple of them. Uh, first, uh, from Revelation 5, 9 through 10, it says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. Okay, well, that, Robert, that's more worship. And with your blood you purchased for God, persons from every tribe and language, people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. No, one of the things we're going to do is rule and reign in the new heavens and new earth with Jesus. What? I mean, it's not the only time it says it. The, the, the Bible also says Jesus talking to the churches. He says to he who overcomes, I'm going to let you reign on this throne with me. Like he's going to pull you up. What in the world? But you also see, and they were singing songs. Here's another one. Revelation 22, 3. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the, of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Here's another thing you're going to do. You're going to be in this epic city. I mean, you think San Diego is beautiful. I love San Diego. But you think it's beautiful? You're going to be in the most epic city ever that you could ever envision. Multiply that times 10,000, and that's the city you're going to be in, and there you'll serve him. But again, it says, and you will worship him. <clears throat> Number three, I love this one. This might be my favorite. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding, that's a party, supper, that's a meal, of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. He had to put that because you're like, no way. We get to party and eat in heaven? Guys, I love to eat. Um, I'm not, you know, some people, they're just like pragmatists when it comes to food. Like, give me a protein bar, not me. I have dreams about food. <laughs> so to think about eating in heaven, like, I, I, I think about it, and I'm like, oh, that, and, I, and, and now I'm going to kind of go off and just in, into my own theology, but I don't think we're going to have to count calories. I, I don't even think you're going to have to do carbless diets in heaven. Not, you know, it's, it's, so you're going to get to be at this party. You're going to be eating in heaven. How amazing. Uh, but, but here's the thing. There, there are just these few references to other things. And, and albeit, they're amazing, like ruling and reigning and serving and eating and partying. I mean, that's amazing. But those are just a few little glimpses compared to what we see over and over and over and over again, which is worship. And, and so one of my pet peeves is I, I read books on heaven. I read books about eternity because I think the church has spent far too much time just focused on the few years here instead of telling people there's something great coming. Like, I think we'd be a much more loving and godly people if we knew this life wasn't it and we're living for eternity. I think we'd be a much more sacrificial people if we know just what I have here isn't all that matters, but I'm storing up treasures in heaven. I think we'd be a lot more hopeful because we know that the light and momentary afflictions are only preparing us for eternity with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But here's my, here is my pet peeve. I read these books about heaven and pastors will often say in their books, they'll say, you know, people, my church, they're not excited about heaven because they think it's just going to be worship. And they think we're just going to float on a cloud, pluck a little harp and 
and, and, and worship, and, 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 and which isn't true, right? We, we've been talking about the, the celestial city and the new heavens and the new earth, but it's so sad for me because then they'll take like a tiny little verse and then they'll go on and write chapters and chapters about all the things they'll think that we're gonna do in heaven. And so they're like, so if your thing is chess, you are gonna like, heaven's gonna be so much chess and you're just gonna play chess all the time. And it's going to be like life-size chess and like chess pieces with wings. I mean, they just start going on and on about how this is going to be chess. Or if, if your deal, you know, is, is, is this sport or this thing, like it's just going to be that all the time. And, and, and yeah, and then we'll worship a little. But just think about that. And I'm thinking, no, I refuse. I, I, I refuse to teach the church that heaven is all about you because we're too immature to know how wonderful it will be to stand face to face with the King of kings and the Lord of lords with eyes of fire and face like the sun and his head and hair glowing like white and, and to sound like the sound of rushing waters coming out and standing before that throne room like the most amazing scenery in history with a flaming throne and an emerald rainbow around it and a sea of glass and these living creatures that are freaking me out. So I don't want to look at them too much. And, and there's tens of thousands of people and I get to stand in the presence of the one who is most loving. And plus I have a new body. Like I don't have that scoliosis anymore. And I'm, and my new body just can feel the most amazing sensations. And I'm in the presence of him who loves me wholly. And if I could ever peel my eyes off him, I'd look to my left and my right and see all my friends that I love. And so I'm with my best friends in the prettiest scenery ever, experiencing the most amazing sensations, being fully loved, and my mind is being blown by beauty. Why would I want to leave? Whew. Sad how little we value worship. It's sad how little we value worship. And I uh, watched this documentary this weekend that I highly encourage you to watch. It's, it's free right now, at least it was this weekend, called The Insanity of God. The Insanity of God. Go look it up. It was on Revelation Media. The Insanity of God. And it's the story uh, of these missionaries that spent their life interviewing the persecuted church, traveling around to where the church is most harshly persecuted and getting their stories and asking the question, is Jesus really worth it? Is Jesus really worth it? And a story is told of them flying into a Soviet country and meeting with this man who had been brutally tortured and imprisoned for 17 years. And his story goes like this. He was growing up in a communist country where the Bible and Christian faith was outlawed. And so he found a Bible and he started reading it and he believed that what it said was true and he put his faith in Jesus and it brought him such joy. And he goes to his wife and asks her, would it be okay? I know I'm not trained. I know I'm not a pastor. I know I haven't been to seminary, but would you be okay if I took the Bible and I started teaching our kids? And she said, of course, I've been praying that for you. Classic wife. And so he takes his children and they start going through the Bible and they would take the words and make them into songs and sing them to Jesus and they would act out the stories. And little by little, more children started 
seeing them do this. And so they asked if they could join, and the father, the humble father, said, no, no, I'm not a pastor. I'm not trained. I'm just teaching my kids. And they said, but we see what you're doing. We want to join. This looks fun. And so these kids started joining, and they would sing their songs to Jesus, and they would act out the stories. And and parents started taking note of the transformation in these kids and, and started seeing what they were doing. And so the parents said, can we join? And he said, no, 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 no. Like, I'm not a pastor. I'm not trained. I haven't been to seminary. And they said, we don't care. We want what you have. And so this house group started growing until there were 75 people spilling out of this house where there had no, been no church in this village. Now people are worshiping Jesus and being transformed. And the KGB hear about it. And one day they bust down the door and they grab this man by the arms and they pull him off and they throw him into the highest security prison for the most hardened criminals. And they're in a prison of 1,500 vile and hard criminals. This man was beaten and he suffered. And he said, the thing that got me through is that every day I would wake up as the sun was rising. I would go to the door of my cell and I would lift my hands as high as I could and I would sing out my worship song to Jesus. It'd sing in Russian, but it'd sing something like this. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you, how I proved you or endure. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust you more. And as he'd do that, those other prisoners, they would jeer him. They would scream at him. They would persecute him. They would curse him. They would take old food and throw it at him in a cell. They'd even take human excrement and throw it at him and try to hit him in his face with it. But every day he was unwavering. He would wake up every morning, lift his hands, Jesus, Jesus. He said one day as he was walking in the, in the prison yard, he found a scrap of paper and he found a piece of coal, and he took it back to his cell, and he wrote out every verse he could think of and every worship song he could remember, and he said, I felt led to just put it up, to push it up against that damp cell wall. It was just a a putrid, harsh, harsh conditions with wet cell walls, but he just put it up there as worship to the Lord. But as the prison guards saw that, they came in, they ripped it down, they ripped it to shreds and said, how dare you proclaim the name of Jesus and write this contraband in this jail? And they beat him. Every day he continued, starting the day, worshiping the Lord, raising his hands, singing the top of his voice. Said one day he was out, this is after many years, and he sees a whole blank paper and he knows it's a gift from the Lord so he takes it and he actually finds a pencil and so he says as small as he could he wrote out as much of the Bible as he could remember every worship song he could remember and he said I didn't care I plastered it up against the wall as my worship to God but yet again the prison guards found it and this time they were ruthless they pulverized his body they tore it into shreds and that day that the that day the guards decided to break him And so they came up with a plan. They wanted to make him think that his wife was being killed, so they went to an adjacent 
prison of women and found a criminal woman and brought her, they put her in his wife's clothing and turned her head and dragged her in front of his jail cell. And his heart was broken as he saw what he thought was his wife being drugged in front. And for the next three days, all day and all night, they beat her. Hearing her scream, hearing the horrible torture until finally she died. And then they dragged her body with her head turned so he couldn't see, dragged her body in front and he said he just broke. He wept, curled up in a fetal position and said, you won, you won. You see the guards had told him that if he would just sign a confession recanting his faith, saying that he would no longer follow Jesus and, and, and also sign and say that he had worked for another foreign country trying to overturn their country and that's why he was teaching Christianity, which was a lie. But if he would just sign those things, they would let him go. He would be released and they would stop tor tormenting him and his family. And so in desperation, in a fetal position, weeping his head off, he says, you won. Bring the confession. Bring the confession, I'll sign it. And he wept through the night. So the next day, the guards have written up this confession and they walk into his jail cell with a, a pen and this paper for him to sign. But instead of finding him broken in a fetal position, broken and, and wiped out, and instead, He's standing up. His shoulders are arched back. His face is resolved. His body's filled with power. And he looks at the guards and says, last night, Jesus Christ visited me. And he was in glowing light. And he showed me that you're lying, that my wife and kids are still alive and they're still following and worshiping Jesus. Get out of my cell. And the guards didn't know what to do, and they just ran out of the cell. About 15 minutes later, they gain their composure, and they are infuriated. They are venomous, and they come back with their clubs and pulverize his body and beat him almost to the point of death. And then they grab him by the neck, and they show him outside, and they say, do you see that pole outside? You're about to be strapped to that pole, and you will be executed in 10 minutes. And they grab him by the neck, and his body's broken, and there's several guards pulling him out of the cell, and he's no, he knows he's going to his death. And he would have never dreamed of what would happen next, because as they're pulling his body past those jail cells of those hardened criminals, one by one, each one of these criminals steps to their jail cell door and lifts their hands to heaven and starts singing, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you. Not one, not two, but 10, 20, 100, 200, all 1,500 are standing there, 3,000 raised hands reverberating through the whole prison. How I prove you or and or worshiping. The guards start trembling. They release him. They look at him and they say, who are you? And he looks and he goes, I am a son of the living God. <clears throat> and they released him. 
And, you know, as I'm listening to that story, watching that documentary, I am weeping. Because I started feeling the conviction. How much do I value worship? How much is worship worth it to me? Is it worth my safety? Is it worth my suffering? Is it worth my freedom? Is it worth my wife and my children? The question for me was, is he worth it? That's the question for us. Is he worth it? Will we worship wholeheartedly? Will we worship with abandon? Will we worship with all our strength, with all our mind? Will we bring him the worship he deserves no matter what happens to us because he alone is worthy of our praise? Would you stand up with me?